0: Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. It's no secret that your most valuable practice asset is your team. It can also be your biggest frustration. In the rapidly changing world of employment law, we work to keep you informed of the latest trends and things you need to know in human resource management and law. As the founder of Human Resource Advisors, Barbara Freet has been providing hands-on human resource assistance to dentists in all 50 states for the last 25 years. These services include writing employee handbooks and policies and procedure manuals, creating job descriptions, developing performance appraisals, and doing training on a variety of subjects for employees and management alike. For years, we have considered Barbara Freet and her Employee Handbook Standard Issue for every Crown Council Office. The field of human resource management is constantly changing with the hottest topics in the last few years being sexual harassment and social media. In the past 10 years alone, Barbara has conducted over 650 sexual harassment seminars and over 50 investigations. Human Resource Advisors also provides day-to-day assistance on issues such as employee discipline and termination, selection and hiring, and leaves of absence administration. She has become an invaluable resource partner to members of the Crown Council. With your most valuable practice practice asset being your team, we've asked Barbara to give us today a human resource update on the biggest issues faced by most dentists today in terms of employment law, the mistakes she sees, and what you can do to stay in good standing with your team. With that, welcome Barbara and thank you for being our Mentor of the Month this month.
1: Thanks, Steve. Uh, It's always exciting to be able to catch people up on this subject since it is such a changeable topic for me and for all my clients. And it's a privilege and a pleasure to be your Mentor of the Month.
0: Well, we appreciate you being here. Maybe we can start with some of the basics, uh, just so that everybody is on the same page together. And maybe you could share with us what the minimum acceptable standard is today in terms of what a dentist absolutely has to have in their human resource arsenal.
1: Okay. The first thing that you've mentioned already is an employee handbook. Some people call them employee manuals. Either way, there are four really important reasons why any employer in any state really has to have an up-to-date current employee handbook. The first is, of course, to meet the requirements of state and federal law. The states are constantly passing laws that relate to employees and private employers, and so staying in compliance is really uh, extremely important. Um, you also want to communicate your expectations in writing so that p- team members know and are, they're able to follow them. It's also a guide for the doctor and the office manager, uh, if if you have a practice administrator or office manager, to stay consistent in what they tell their your team members. And lastly, it just communicates your intent to follow the law. One of my clients said he went to the Labor Commissioner's office in California carrying his employee handbook under his arm, and it swayed the result uh, considerably. So it really helps just to show that you intend to follow the law. Also, I want to point out something else, Steve, on this subject lots of times I run across a practice that has my employee handbook already in place except they got it from a colleague and I really want to encourage our dental members not to give their employee handbook to their colleagues it's not I mean in addition to the intellectual property issue the what I found was that this particular dentist who received a handbook from a colleague this obligated him to things that otherwise he would not have been obligated to. There's a lot of different differences between uh, dental offices. So please write your own handbook, uh, preferably with us, and don't give it to anybody else because you may obligate them to things that they are not obligated to to follow. So that's the employee handbook issue. The second is job descriptions. Job descriptions really need to be more than just a list of duties. They need to have the physical requirements of the job. Why? Because that is what you use if somebody goes out on any kind of medical leave. That's what you give the doctor. Some doctors feel, I don't want job descriptions, because then people say it's not part of my job description. Well, all the good job descriptions that we write say, and anything else the doctor assigns. So that covers everything. And besides, any team member that says that isn't going to be a good team member anyway. But job descriptions. And you want a signature line saying, yes, I understand these are my responsibilities. And you also, again, want to have wording that says that the doctor can assign anything else that is needed. Um, By the way, Steve, we've already written job descriptions and performance appraisals for every position in the dental office and I want to publicly thank Dr. Dick Plash because Dick went through many hours of helping me write these from a dentist's point of view so uh, a shout out to Dick Plash again for his generous um, generosity toward us. But we have Excellent. these already written and they're customizable. The third thing is new hire documents. Uh, every state has requirements, and the federal government has requirements for forms that have to be completed or handed out, and among those are the I-9 form. Um, There's a lot of law around the I-9 form. That's the form that um, employers are supposed to give within the first three days of employment to confirm that this new employee is eligible to work in the United States. Some employers say bring your driver's license and Social Security card. You're not allowed to specify the documents. So uh, having a list of the acceptable documents and giving it to your new employee is really important. And the best time to do that and one of the most important pieces of new hire documentation is the offer letter. And the offer letter memorializes either the hourly rate or the monthly rate, salary rate that you're paying your this new employee. We could have a whole separate uh, discussion about per diem, but um, particularly in three states, uh, it's not as recommended, even though it's a long-standing tradition in dentistry to pay people on a per diem basis. That's a whole other subject. But all the forms, you need to have them. And you need to have the current versions, and I recommend that people have an HR folder on their computer, and in that folder they have a subfolder entitled New Hired Documents, and they just put all the stuff in there. So whenever they need them, they're sitting right there ready. And um, we have all these, of course, for for clients, and for our, uh, they're customized for dental practices, so we can certainly give them to your members and our clients. And one of the next things is discipline and termination documents along the same lines. If you have one of my favorite forms is the performance improvement plan, a PIP. This is where if you haven't done a very good job of documenting, you can get uh, get this form from us or have it, and it's got two columns in the front. One gives the standards of the job or the function, like, for example, the standard is, don't be late. And the other column says, you've been late five times this past month. So it's a whole list of things that that you want a person to improve upon on one sheet of paper, and the bottom paragraph says, you have 30 days to improve, and we can terminate you during the 30 days if you don't. So it's a great form, and again, in in a file folder on your computer when you need it. All these forms should be there. So, we have a USB drive that we can send um, clients with all these forms and a lot of letters and things that I've written over the years that are specific to dental practices.
0: Excellent. You are the excuse me, you're the go to source for a lot of dentists across the country in terms of being their HR director, although you're not their director, but you're kind of the outsourced HR director. Tell us what are the most common questions and topics you get called about on a regular basis.
1: Okay, I I will do that. I want to just jump in and add two other things, and they have to do with what the topics are that I'm asked about um, most regularly. Um, I want to add that in your arsenal, your HR arsenal, I really – very strongly suggest that you do background checks on your front desk, people. One of the topics I hear constantly, always have, I suspect always will because we're dealing with people, is how do I terminate this person? Well, you will save yourself some of the heartache and aggravation that goes along with hiring really what turned out to be poor people if you do background checks, and not just criminal background checks, but civil background checks. Why? Because the civil background check will tell you if this person has sued his or her previous employers or if people have sued them for disorderly conduct or drinking or abuse or any number of civil topics uh, that none of us want in our practices or companies. So civil and criminal background checks. And this is when When you are sitting in front of this new hire, uh, you give them the authorization and release. And if they say, I don't want to have my background checked, not credit check, but just background, you've saved yourself a heartache. And the second one, you want to comment on that?
0: Yeah, I had a question about that in terms of an interview question, whether this is permissible or not. When you give them that form, and tell them that you are going to do a background check, is it permissible legally to say we are going to do a background check? Is there anything you'd like us to know before we do that?
1: Sure. You can ask that question. It's not against the law to ask. Um, And this is one of those cases where watching a person carefully will tell you a lot. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't assume, but watch. I had a case where I was recruiting for a jeweler in town, and one of the people that I was interviewing when I did a credit report on her, and again, now there are new rules for credit reports, so they're much more difficult to get. But at this point, I did a credit report on this woman who was going to be an accounting person in a jewelry store, very high-end jewelry store, and she had terrible credit. And I, I sat down with her and said, Why? And she had a boyfriend issue, and and I placed her. She did great, and she didn't steal anything. So, yes, you can ask, and sometimes people will be forthcoming and tell you. And the answer when they do that is don't make any promises, but just say, thank you for telling me. We'll make our decisions accordingly, and I'll let you know. And people are entitled to copies of their uh, reports, too, by the way. Got yeah. it. The second thing that I wanted to add to this list of things in your arsenal, and this relates again directly to hiring and terminating employees, I have finally found an assessment that measures compatibility. And we we certainly know that the front and the back are so interdependent on each other in a dental office. And certainly the dentist has to have somebody beside him or her that he's compatible with. So I finally found an assessment. It costs 49 bucks, and it takes 15 minutes to do. So we're not talking about a large investment of either time or money. But it measures behavioral style. It measures core convictions, the things that motivate somebody, and compatibility. And the dental practices that are using this assessment now love it, because when they are interviewing, they have their top candidates take this assessment and they put them then in the groups in which they will work or with the whole office. And I'm a trained, certified person in this um, assessment because I'm so fond of it, and I can explain it very well. But they can see immediately who the most compatible person is going to be. So, And then it also, I'm going to add one last thing. I just absolutely cannot work with somebody who is slow and this i use this for everybody that i consider hiring because it will tell me in a minute if this person is going to be someone who works slowly they can they're harmonious they're wonderful but if they're too slow that won't work for me at all so this is something that is very important in dental offices and this does come up where somebody's just slow, well, this is something you can find out before you hire them using this assessment.
0: Well, and, and Barbara, you bring up a good point because there are uh, assets that are important to each individual person as an employer that may not be a reflection on the character of the person. It's just what you personally are looking for for, and what you need to to be successful. So knowing that in advance is good to know. If you've got an instrument that will measure it, much better.
1: Yeah, I agree. So still the common most common topics are terminations, how to do it safely. And the biggest problem that has been true for all these many years is lack of documentation. People just don't like to sit down and put down what's going on. And that's where that PIP form comes in really handbook. I mean handy. And the second part of that is they don't have in their handbook or in other written materials, they they don't have good communication about their expectations. And so those things help you when you want to terminate somebody. And it may be in the handbook, it may be in um, the job descriptions, the performance appraisals, or just notes to file, just anything. And the second part of that is, what do, what do I say to this person that I'm going to terminate? People have flown me all over the place to terminate people, kind of like George Clooney and up in the United States. (laughs) Yeah. But because the confrontation part is so difficult. So I write a lot of scripts and and coach people uh, on how to terminate, and it's been very helpful. It usually goes better than they think it will. The second really big issue that is constant is this whole issue of classifications as exempt or non-exempt. And um, states either have their own wage and hour law or they follow the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. It was written in 1937, but it's been amended a few times, and a number of states still follow those rules. But um, we have issues uh, in in paying overtime and keeping time records in, in some of the, certainly in California, in Nevada, and Alaska. And the rest of the states um, sometimes just don't pay their people. They don't keep time records. And that has been problematic uh, in for a lot of practices. And on that subject, the dentist, the associates, and maybe only an office manager are the exempt people in a practice.
0: And will you define exempt just so everybody knows the definition?
1: Sure. It, the, the term means exempt from wage and hour law. Exempt people are paid based on the job they do, not the hours they work. So if you have a dentist, a dentist falls under the professional exemption. And as a professional, they're trusted to know what to do with patients, with staff, associates the same and we're going to talk more about that uh, in a few minutes office managers who really do manage the staff run interference for the doctor make decisions about um, all kinds of the aspects in a dental practice that person's duties rise to the level of an exempt person it's not about the title it's not about just paying somebody a salary makes them exempt that isn't true It is 100% based on the duties of the job.
0: Okay, so let me ask you an additional question. Let's talk about hygienists.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Can a hygienist be paid a daily rate?
1: Here's the issue with that. In most of the states, the uh, overtime is paid over 40 hours or more a week in a work week. California, Nevada, and Alaska, that's not true, but let's take California because it's the most obnoxious state of all. Most people, cause traditionally, hygienists have been paid on a per diem basis, 400 450 a day, whatever it is. And because of that, they don't keep time records. They just get their per diem rate. If they come and they deal with patients uh, and then they maybe make phone calls, whatever it is, they get their daily rate. I have gone through two... Recently, two lawsuits in California where dentists did that and they didn't have their hygienist time records because hygienists are non-exempt employees. The only time they can rise to the level of exempt is if they have a four-year degree. In some states it's recognized, like Texas. Um, If they have a four-year degree and they – I don't know there's some other aspects to it, and I don't want to get too detail-oriented here. But but generally speaking, you should consider a hygienist a non-exempt employee, and they should clock in, they should clock out for lunch in California particularly, they should clock back in and clock out at the end of the day. What happened to these two dentists was they had no time records, and one of the hygienists sued saying she never was paid her... Uh, overtime, and she never got to take a lunch, even though she did every day, and so all of her days were nine-hour days, and the doctor had to pay overtime going back three years.
0: Whoa, plus penalties, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, plus penalties. So, yes, per diem is, is something that is common, but in California particularly, it's not advisable.
0: So, would it be safe to say then if somebody is paying a hygienist per diem, that they can do that, but they still need to keep time records and make sure they don't go over 40 hours.
1: Well, and in California, they can't go over eight hours. Eight hours a day, got it. Right, and if they do, then you have to adjust their per diem amount. Got it. I can talk more specifically to any client who has an issue with that, but it's just, in California particularly, a giant pain. Got it. So the second part of classifications is whether or not somebody is an employee. Oh, you know what? Let me go back to non-exempt one second. Non-exempt means not exempt from wage and hour law, and it means that a person is paid based on the hours they work. So if they're not there, you can dock them. If they are there, they're paid. If they work more hours than um, 40 or 8 or whatever, they're paid overtime, and they have to keep time records and in California particularly they have to clock out for lunch. So non exempt meaning not exempt and exempt meaning exempt. Got it. So the second part is employees or contractors. Ugh the federal government and the IRS are really cracking down on this because a lot of people think they can just elect to be an independent contractor And uh, associates do this frequently. They'll say, Well, I'll just work as an independent contractor and then you don't have to incur the taxes. The problem is that uh, the IRS has now produced some guidelines, which I'm happy to send anybody. Um, They're not, it's all about the taxes. So uh, if it, people are saying, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck. And most people are employees. They're temporary employees. They're part-time employees. They're on-call employees, but they're not contractors. So I'm happy to send the guidelines and talk to anybody who has independent contractors just to determine if they really are. A perfect example is me. I don't do dentistry, so I don't do your core business. Me, IT people, people, accounting people, people. They may have their own company, and those are perfect independent contractors. Anybody who does dentistry is probably an employee. That's the general broad brush. And the third thing that I do all day long is talk to clients about problem employees. It's, uh, of course, dependent on the issue. Each issue is a little different and the laws that apply, but people are people and dealing with them can be problematic. And I have a saying that I made up that I'm still threatening to get a T shirt made that says there's no relationship between common sense and employment law. Very true. <laughs> so so just because you think it makes sense doesn't necessarily mean it's legal to do.
0: Especially if you live in California.
1: Especially in California. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a good list. Thank you. Uh, I, one of the things that I specifically asked for today and appreciate you in advance talking about this is the latest trends in human resource law and management. Two of the things I mentioned in the introduction, social media, which is probably the most rapidly expanding area of employment law, as well as sexual harassment continues to be a expanding area. Could you touch on both of those and what the latest developments have been and what suggestions you have for all of us and how we manage those two areas.
1: Sure. You're right. The social media issue has just created a plethora of issues for employers and employees alike, and court cases change the rules regularly. Um, one thing to keep in mind that the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, is absolutely on the war path to protect em- employees' and team members' rights when it comes to what's called concerted activity. That means that um, anything that employees want to talk about regarding their workplace is protected. So it even says things like the employee can talk negatively about the employer wearing the company uniform. It actually says that in the law. So to me this sounds ridiculous and dangerous to be truthful, But you really cannot discipline an employee who talks about their salary, who talks about the office manager, talks about you, the dentist. Um, But you can say, if you're going to talk about work-related things, which is your right and which I allow, certainly, add a constructive part to it. If you have a problem, propose a solution. Or come to me. I have an open-door policy. Come to me and tell me what the issues are. And, and try not to retaliate because that's where a lot of these cases are coming from. People bring up issues and they don't always do it using good sense and they don't always do it properly, what we would consider properly on social media. They just blast their their coworkers or, or the dentist or whomever. But if you find that that happens, call them into your office and say, what's going on? Tell me what really is happening. And if you can ask clean questions, A clean question is something that's not loaded. I saw your post. It sounds to me as though you're really upset. Tell me all about it if you would, that kind of thing. You also have HIPAA on your side. So make sure, and we say this in our policy, make sure that team members are not talking about patients, even thinly veiled comments about negative comments about patients. You can invoke HIPAA uh, rules. To try to control that. One of the things that I've found that makes a big difference is just the level of respect and courtesy that you promote in your practice, because that will have a direct impact on what's published about you and others in the practice. For example, the type of language that's used in the practice, the amount of personal information that permeates the discussions and the doctor's and office manager's own example. Uh, those are key factors in how behavior and expectations are communicated and what is said about you on social media. It, And this is another topic, Steve, that has come up on the blog a number of times. I've recommended that doctors particularly don't become friends of their team members. If the office manager wants to, fine, and there are some doctors that absolutely disagree with that, They think it's team building and all of that um, type of thing. I don't think so. I think you can see things that influence your judgment about a person on social media that really have nothing to do with the workplace. But it's like toothpaste out of a tube. Once you know, you know. You can't unknow it. And it will influence your decisions. As, As bosses, we should really focus on people's work behavior only and try and manage people based on their work behavior. So I know the recruiters look at social media all the time. And when oh, recruiting, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you just do that. But um, it's 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 an opinion, but it's based on what I hear and see. And I really think this is a very important policy to have current and legal in your handbook to lay out your expectations very, very, very clearly. And it's
0: constantly changing. I mean, I think, as we mentioned, there's court cases regularly coming out with because it's such a rapidly developing area that we've never had to deal with this before.
1: And, by the way, if you have a practice cell phone and the cell phone is uh, given to people on the weekend to answer calls, but it's a practice-owned cell phone, I've been involved in cases where people have uh, taken pictures have sent emails and text messages that are inappropriate. So in the cell phone policy and also in um, maybe morning huddles, other times, make sure that the practice-owned cell phone doesn't have inappropriate things on it. It's your cell phone. And you can monitor it, monitor it any time you want. So that's another Little thing to keep and
0: that should, I assume, you're recommending mm-hmm. as well, there should be a written policy about that as
1: well. Absolutely. Got it. And on the subject of sexual harassment, um, you know, because it's gotten so much coverage in the media, most employees don't really know what it is. They call anything that makes them uncomfortable sexual harassment. hmm And I see this all the time. There's... Um, there's two main problems that I see, doing investigations and training on the subject. Whether the behavior is or is not sexual harassment, you will still have to defend yourself. So I have a friend that says, if you don't want to cross the line, don't stand next to it. And that certainly applies. Isn't that a good saying? It is. If you don't want to cross the line, don't stand next to it. Um, Here are some issues of, of that dentists have dealt with in just the past year. Uh, I had to do an investigation about a dentist who told his front desk person that he only wanted to hire women with big breasts. That didn't go over very well. That turned into an issue. A dentist told and enjoyed sexual innuendos and sexually oriented jokes, and all his team members laughed and joined in until one of them sued him. Hmm. So don't assume that because everybody laughs, that everybody approves. Um, I just had a case where a dentist was accused of leaning against a team member when trying to reach something in a cupboard. And so it doesn't take much. It it really doesn't. So, But be, you have to be mindful. But most of all, you have to remember that it's a, the pattern of behavior, it's the culture of your practice, and i want to add that there's a type of sexual harassment referred to as professional sexual harassment It doesn't mean that somebody's really good at it what it means <laughs> is that it has to do with a professional relationship and if so this is this is dentist and patient therapist and patient teacher student cpa client that kind of thing and the legal awards are higher in these cases because of the economic and uh, kind of guidance-related relationship between the uh, professional and the client or patient. So be very wary. That one is very serious.
0: So in other words, because of their professional designation, they're held to a higher standard. Correct. Got it. That's right. Very good. Thank you for the updates Uh, on those. Other national trends you're seeing?
1: Um, I'm seeing a trend where states are becoming more mindful of people with injuries or illnesses or with family medical issues. A number of states, California, Hawaii, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island, offer either employee or employer paid temporary disability insurance as a wage replacement when somebody is out with an illness or injury california new jersey instituted paid family leave almost ten years ago and now the district of columbia washington and rhode island have followed suit hawaii and other states are considering providing this kind of wage replacement there's a number of states that have medical maternity and family leave requirements for small employers while the leaves are not paid there are still requirements in terms of guaranteed reinstatement or the length of the leave, those kinds of things. And now with uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, that has increased the focus on this issue, requiring that children be covered by both medical and dental insurance. And what I've seen in practices, it's been common over the years, having written so many handbooks, a lot of dental practices don't offer medical insurance benefits. But we're seeing this changing. Um, because of the individual mandate, which is part of Obamacare, Uh, a lot of times team members put pressure on the dentist to provide medical insurance benefits, and so they are. And the medical insurance reimbursement policies that uh, dentists have had are now not allowed. So this has created a, um, a benefit that's taxed, and Different different, uh, practices have responded to this issue differently. They've given raises and discontinued it, or they've bought insurance, or different things. But I've seen a real change in the focus and the trend toward just taking care of people. Another trend is minimum wages. Uh, We've heard a lot about this in the news, and uh, states are raising their minimum wage, but cities now are doing the same thing um, in California and other places. That is, has been adding to the confusion. Also, now we have mandatory paid sick leave in California. And um, the this is resulting in, in discussions I've had with some dental management companies that assist with financial advice. Uh, they're really having to relook at their cost analysis and best practices because of these added expenses. but. Um, and
0: does that apply to any employer no matter the size, no matter how many employees they have?
1: Yes, in California, wow. everybody. So the minimum is three days of paid sick leave. And so you figure 24 more hours, and it's protected. So as uh, one of the state attorneys said in a seminar that I attended, if you have a team member that wants to go shopping and they want to use their paid sick leave day to do it they're pretty much okay you can't really So they retaliate. don't have to prove that
0: they're sick Correct. they can just
1: take it that's right oh, Got it. so it's you know i've over the years steve so many times i've heard doctors say to me why pay people to be sick yeah. and so that's been a very common theme among dental practices and for good reason because it so impacts patient care. Sure. But now, um, as of July first of fifteen in California, employees will get paid sick leave on a mandatory basis. And Oakland and San Francisco and different other cities have their own, which just confuses things.
0: All right. Um this is like the best motivational program I've ever done, Barbara. Oh good. Well all of the things you have to it's amazing how how these things start to add up. So, you know, looking forward, just as a snapshot of coming attractions, I know you keep an eye on case law, so cases that are in the courts that change employment law. Just uh, you know, so so we know what's out there, can you give us an idea of some some cases that you're watching that have potential impact on future employment law.
1: Sure, it's kind of like when you read cases, Steve. It's kind of like Days of Our Lives.
0: It's mm-hmm. just
1: so interesting, discouraging but interesting. One recent case, um, this is the name of it is Taylor versus Neighbors Drilling, and this is a case that has to do with sexual harassment, and it's changed the way, and it went to federal court, changed the way that you should think about the atmosphere in your practice. This is a case where um, it used to be that an employee had to show that the harassment was severe and pervasive and was because of sexual interest. This case has changed all that because the court ruled it doesn't have to be because of sexual interest at all, and it it only has to be severe or pervasive. So if you look at a picture of water and you consider what the water to be anything sexual, anything inappropriate and you you have a glass sitting there and every time a sexual joke is told, you just pour a little bit of water in that glass. Anytime innuendos or comments or anything, a little water goes in that glass. Well pretty soon, over time, that glass is going to be full. And as my attorney said to me, you don't know if the judge's glass is a tumbler or a shot glass. So pervasive means ongoing, and that's why it's really important after this case to just monitor your office and and the level of behavior there. The second case I want to talk about is really um, critical. um, An attorney named David Sohn, S-O-H-N, he owns a law group in San Francisco, he sued Western Dental, and Western Dental, by the way, was was represented by Littler Mendelssohn, premier employment lawyers nationwide. Um, An associate named Ashwin Nanda Dentist, who was serving as an associate with Western Dental, sued claiming he was not an exempt employee, but was really non-exempt and was therefore owed overtime. And I went to lunch with David and talked at length with him about this case. Here's the nuts and bolts of it. And this may be a trend going forward, but this is a very important thing for for uh, our clients, the doctors, to really get. Whether your state follows the Fair Labor Standards Act or has its own wage and hour law, one of the key elements about having an exempt employee is they are paid a salary that is the same every pay period. This man was paid on a uh, percentage of production, and it varied from pay period to pay period. A percentage of production is not a salary. And so David Sohn won this case, and a lot of other associates at Western Dental started looking at the same issue. If you have deals with your associates where you pay a percentage of production or you pay any other thing other than a salary, you may get in a pickle like uh, Western Dental did. So what I recommend is that you pay a salary, a flat amount, two and a half times minimum wage every pay period. Pay that salary. And then Give a lower percentage of production on top of it to motivate your associate, but this is such a big issue because again, overtime is going to go back three years, four years in this case because it was I think a class action suit, four years of of overtime. Owed. Wow. So this is this is directly about dentists. It's directly about associates. So be sure that you pay your associate properly as an exempt employee and that will take care of this issue
0: got it you have been very thorough as always and mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate your walking us all through the detail this is this is one of those things Barbara and I know you know this because you deal with it deal with it every day for most people they don't pay a whole lot of attention to all of this until there's a crisis <laughs> and then they start paying attention to it, and you get the phone calls, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, and I, I and like it I when, think they, you,
1: when they yeah, call before that, the issue happens. Yeah,
0: that most of the most of the issues that you deal with or that dentists deal with could have been prevented with some very simple things to, to put in place, like an employee manual and having things documented. So. That's just another reminder uh, from me, to everybody, not from you, because I know you you always talk about that. But uh, having your house in order, and that's what this program is about today, is just a reminder. One other area to make sure you have all your ducks in a row and your house in order and have everything clarified. If you haven't looked at your employee manual for a while, uh, it's a good idea to go through and read it (laughs) and see what's – what needs to be changed, what needs to be updated, <clears throat> so that you're current and you're based on what we've talked about today, that you're in, in good shape. Um, Barbara, before we wrap up, and we'll include this with this program, but just so that we have it in a recorded version, uh, to reach you for any employment-related questions, uh, tell us the best way to reach you.
1: My email address is Barbara, B A R B A R A, at HR Advisors, O R S, HR Advisors.net. And our phone number is 925 310 4828. And Steve, I'd like to mention that we offer Crown Council members a discount on their employee handbook. The regular new handbook price is $1,250. And we offer that uh, handbook to Crown Council members at 950, so there's a savings of $300 there. And if anybody is curious about these assessments, I'm happy to give them a free assessment, show them what they're going to learn, and let them see if it's good for their team. It also helps with communication. So for an established team, it's it's great. But I'm happy to give a free assessment. Anybody who's-
0: Excellent, and thank you for that that offer on both accounts. And I would say, as a customer of yours, that an investment on the front end can save you thousands and thousands of dollars of legal fees on the back end. So, and the fact that there's different employment law in different states makes it even that much more important. So, Barbara, thank you for always being on call. For everyone in the Crown Council to answer questions. Thank you for the update today. This has been fascinating for me uh, to hear all of the things that are going on and appreciate your ongoing mentorship and wisdom in uh, keeping us straight with our team members. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.